Today is Sunday, October 27th, 2019. We'd intended to release episode 22 of Murder, Etc. over the weekend, but we've learned of some surprising and in some cases shocking developments surrounding the Murder, Etc. story. So I'm producing this bonus episode today, the weekend after a week of turmoil in Greenville County law enforcement. A jury found the elected sheriff of Greenville County, Will Lewis, guilty of misconduct. Lewis apologized and asked for community service. I am truly sorry for what I have done that led me to this position. The judge sentenced him to prison for a year. Governor Henry McMaster immediately removed Lewis from office. And now the county will have a special election for a new sheriff by springtime. Meanwhile, state investigators are looking into the Greenville City Police Department on an unrelated matter. We were following along on those cases, but our focus remained on the murder etc. story and the events of 1975. As long as we've been working on this, we believed we were telling a story that happened in the mid-1970s that would have very few connections to the active law enforcement officers of 2019. We believed that until now. I'm Brad Willis. This is Murder Etc. Check one, two. Check one, two. Check, check, check. All right. A few days ago. October 24th? 5th. Yeah, I think it's All right. Week before Halloween. All right, so it's the 24th, week before Halloween. Andy Etheridge and I were once again in the cab of his pickup truck. What are we going to do and why? Either once again on a wild goose chase, or about to uncover some of the most mind-blowing things in 20 years of investigation. We're going to get the last piece of the story, we hope. We had reason to believe a man who had been silent for 40 years was about to talk to us. Now, just to recap a little bit of history, I, we've both been aware of for a long time. We're not releasing the man's name for reasons that will become clear later. You'll get to know him better in our next full episode. He had been elusive, sometimes evasive. He knew we wanted to talk to him, but had ignored every attempt we made for two decades. Just about the time I was ready to give up, Andy fired up his computer. My theory was somebody within the uh, family tree was ready to talk. I didn't know how far out on a limb they were, but I wanted to find out. So I made a spreadsheet. <laughs> and that's rare because I don't know much about spreadsheets. Andy's idea was if this guy didn't want to talk, maybe he had a relative who might. Andy packed his spreadsheet and took it with him on the way to a Little League game. So I made a list of numbers on the way to the baseball game. Just started calling. One, no luck. Second one, answers the phone. Has no idea what I'm talking about, but is willing to hear me out. That person lives more than 500 miles from us. So Andy went on to the ball game. Before I can get to the baseball stadium and get to the dugout, got a voicemail. So a relative of the man we've been trying to get to had called down to South Carolina. And just like that, the man we'd been trying to pin down for years was inviting us to meet him for dinner at a restaurant near his house. It's, it's like in a strip mall. and It looks like it's a little bit more country. This, so I think it's down on the other side of this. So after we got off work from our day jobs, Andy and I took a drive. So we'd set to meet for what, 545? 
we're going to be getting there about 20 minutes early, probably. And that is when two people showed up. That's got to be him, right? All right Let me go. Uh, you go, go say hi. And it wasn't long before we were hearing a story we never expected to hear. Yep, that's going to be them. So he's going to go introduce himself, and then we're going to go see if we can see this gun. The man we met is related to one of the people instrumental in putting Charles Wakefield Jr. in prison for the 1975 murders of Rufus and Frank Looper. After dinner, we followed that man to his house, sat on his back porch. He told us, years ago, he had sorted through a storage shed full of his relatives' things, trying to organize it all into piles. Every little box I'd open, I mean, I'd open to see what was in there, to see which pile it went in. Well, there's one shoebox open. I opened it up and there was a nickel-plated pistol. The man says he had never seen the weapon before, and he asked his relative where the gun had come from. The answer he got, as near as he could tell, turned out to be false. But he didn't think too much about it until the summer of 2019, when he says he got a call from the Greenville Police Department's cold case unit. Wanted me to come in and talk about this Looper case. So I went up there and we got talking and I told him what I knew about it. Just before I launched the first episode, I made the police department, its chief Ken Miller, and the cold case unit aware of the Murder Etc. podcast. In December of 2018, I interviewed Interim Sheriff Johnny Mac Brown, and he said something I've been playing back in my head ever since. You know, the word on the street was that, uh, that, that they had the wrong person and that they convicted the wrong person. I don't know. You know, I wasn't privy to the information. I've never looked at the file. Uh, I know that uh, that had, has been looked at by the present administration. Don't know what they found or what they came up with. But It wasn't only that Brown said the public thought Wakefield was innocent. It was also that Brown said he believed Police Chief Ken Miller had someone in the department looking at the Looper murder case in 2018. But when I asked the police about this, the department said it had no active investigation into the Looper case, but I was free to come down and tell them anything I wanted. I decided to focus my research, which included taking a look at the ballistics reports from one of the best known forensics agents at the State Law Enforcement Division. At trial, that agent testified after extensive study of the lead slugs that killed Rufus and Frank Looper, he determined that the murder weapon was most likely a 32 caliber revolver made by a company called Rossi, a gun that could fire short or long 32 caliber bullets. In 1975, state forensics investigators examined more than 100 weapons, but none of them matched up to the lead slugs that killed the Loopers. I had never seen a 32 Rossi revolver, until I started the research for this podcast and found some pictures online. And I'd never seen one in person. And what I have is a 32 Rossi, nickel plated. Until the man we went to see last week showed one to us on his back porch. It had gotten dark, so he went inside to get a flashlight as Andy and I shook our heads in disbelief. What's that? It's mind blowing, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Absolutely mind blowing. 32 Rossi. Yeah. I mean, it's the coincidence is ridiculous. 
We looked the gun over and over and found it to be the exact same make, model, and caliber of the one the forensics agent believed killed Rufus and Frank Looper. Now sure, this could very well be a coincidence, but it made us almost sick to our stomachs. Right there, on that porch, this man was showing us a gun he said he found inside a shoebox among his relative's belongings. And that relative played an instrumental role in putting Charles Wakefield Jr. in prison. And here's the thing. Up until we spoke to this guy, he said he had no idea what the suspected murder weapon was. We told him it was a Rossi. And now that he knows, he told us that gun will be in the hands of law enforcement officials within hours of when we plan to put out this episode. If you got a serial number, the make and model, you have to run this thing through NCIC. Well, if they got it in their database and they get a hit on it as being stolen or possible used in the crime, then if the agency that runs it better clear it out of NCIC through a paperwork and a case number. And then it could get sticky from there. You know, I, we talked about maybe that was a gun that was used at Looper's. The question now is this. Why was that gun not already in the hands of Greenville police? Because the man we spoke to said, just a few months ago, he told a Greenville police detective who was looking into the Looper murders about the gun he'd found. And he says that detective never followed up on that gun. And so, to the best of our knowledge, investigators have never examined that gun to see if it's related to the Looper murders. When Andy and I learned about the gun, we talked about if it was important enough to rush the information out in a bonus episode. We didn't have time to make that decision before we heard something else. You're not going to hear any recorded interviews in this part, because the people who are talking are doing so on the condition I don't reveal their identities. As I worked to determine if the cold case detective's investigation went beyond interviewing the man we'd spoken to, I started hearing from sources. Something unbelievable was happening at the police department. According to multiple sources in positions to have this knowledge, at some point within the last couple of years, someone found what people have described as evidence connected to the Looper murders investigation in an evidence locker at the police department. Evidence that, those sources say, had never been revealed or included in the police file released to Charles Wakefield's attorneys at any point leading up to his trial or during decades of appeals. And that evidence, the sources say, was what sparked a new investigation at the Greenville Police Department. To be clear, I have not seen this alleged evidence that multiple sources say exists, and I'm waiting for an official response from the police department. One retired detective who could have had access to the evidence claimed no personal involvement in a review of the Looper case. I also reached out multiple times to another retired detective that a source said was the one who found this alleged evidence, but that detective has not responded to my many text messages and phone calls. On Friday, two days before we put out this bonus episode, I reached out to Greenville Police Chief Ken Miller for his response to everything you heard here. His spokesman acknowledged receiving the questions, 
but said the earliest I'd hear anything is Monday, October 28th. I've also filed a freedom of information request with the city of Greenville for what I am told is proof the police department had found this evidence and was planning to use it in a new investigation. Somehow, some way, this 44-year-old murder case has become modern-day breaking news. We're still getting new information from our sources, and we're following up on every new tip that we get. Just hours before I recorded this episode, I met with another source. Because this is all happening in real time now, this part of the story might need a lot of updates along the way. I've heard a great many more things about the alleged new evidence, but I'm not yet comfortable speaking about them until I can get the allegations better sourced. However, I have asked Police Chief Ken Miller about what I've heard, and when he responds, I'll be sure to let you know. Producing even these shorter bonus episodes takes a lot of time, so if and when I can verify anything new or clarify anything I've reported from our sources here, I'll post it on our website, murderetcetrapodcast.com. At some point soon, I'll also post some photos of the gun we saw last week and other documents related to all of this. Since beginning Murder Etc., we've done everything we can to protect all of the information, documents, notes, and interviews that we've done, including copying it all and sending it out to people we trust who don't live anywhere close to South Carolina. And when appropriate, I post that information online, on our website. So for the latest here, be sure to keep an eye on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. And of course, the website, murderetcpodcast.com. We'll be back with you as soon as we can, either with another bonus episode or episode 22, where we'll play a lot more of the conversation with that man who had the gun, including the part where he talks about what he believes about that relative of his who helped send Charles Wakefield Jr. to death row.